If you were a gamer in the 80s and 90s in the Sega camp, then where did you go for advice when you got stuck? Did you wait for the next issue of your favourite magazine? Did you watch the very, very few TV shows on gaming for advice? Or did you succumb to the premium rate number on the back of the game manual, encouraging you to call the Sega hotline? If you did the latter in Australia, then you may well have spoken to today's guest, the man they call Sega Master Tim. Welcome, Tim. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining <laughs> and us, it, and, Tim. And it's Sega. It's Sega down That here, was my first Sega. question. <laughs> that was my first question. Is it Sega oh, or is it Sega? <laughs> I, I think we've got it all wrong, whether it's Sega or Sega, because Sega is an abbreviation of service games, so maybe we should all be saying Sega. Sega. Mm. Okay, you heard it mm. here first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if it catches on. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, well, you, you'll forgive me if I can't undo nearly four decades of saying Sega through this uh, interview. Yeah, um, I, I understand. Uh, yeah. Before we get onto the hotline itself, Tim, let's hear about what qualifies you to have worked on the hotline. Where did gaming start for you? Gaming started for me back in the 70s. Um, uh, but before video games really came out, I was I was into board games, so you know, playing Monopoly and um, dice games like Yahtzee and, and things like that. Um, and I was I loved it so much. I even played the games on my own, and I imagined that I was playing for other people. So I'd take the position of these different opponents and try and beat myself in different ways. And I know it's crazy and sad, but it's just that's how much I love gaming and um, the strategy behind it. So when video games came about, uh, the first time I saw it was at a local squash court and I saw this uh, generic uh, Space Invaders game. And uh, I really liked that and I wanted to see more. And uh, some other games came out like Galaga and that. And I finally got got a Pong set. Uh, That was a generic set as well. Um, from a company called Tempest, I think it was. Yeah, so um, yeah, so I played uh, Pong, moved up from that to uh, an Atari, uh, Atari twenty six hundred, and uh, I, I went out and got myself a um, Sega Master System, and things changed. It wasn't all consoles, though, was it? I think you had a TRS-80 at one point, didn't you? Oh, yes, yes, that's right, yeah. Oh, look, I, I keep on forgetting about it because it was such an awful unit. Was, so it, the, uh, was it the famous Dick Smith Super 80 that sells Yes, so, the, yeah, Dick, yeah, the Dick Smith, <laughs> yeah, Dick Smith, yeah. So um, that didn't last long then? No, no, it was just oh, useless like, because... Uh, in a country town, you didn't have many choices. So I'm sure, like in the city, you would have had access to lots of games for it and whatnot. But where I lived, there was just nothing for it. And uh, we, we um, mum and dad didn't have enough money to buy a Commodore 64. So they, they got me somewhat the next best thing, which was a TRS-80. Um, so, and unfortunately, back then, uh, look, I did, didn't really know and neither did my parents as to what was the real difference between the two, uh, but I soon found out. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, on, on to happier times. You, you said that yes. the Sega Master System, you said when you got that, everything changed. Just elaborate yes. on that. What was the effect on you? Day one, when you opened that Master System, talk us through it. Oh, well, it was uh, what, what drew me to it, I, I saw it 
I saw the uh, the console for the first time at a Target um, in Albury, which is sort of like on the border between New South Wales and Victoria. Mm. Just to put you on the map, you're you're sort of southeast Australia, aren't you? Yeah, so southeast. I, I live in I live in Melbourne now, but um, back then I was living in northeast Victoria. Um, saw the unit there, and I was just drawn by the colours. Um, I was drawn by the sounds as well. It was like nothing I've seen before. And the fact that I didn't need a data cassette player, that I could just plug the unit in, uh, the cartridge in, and off I went. So I was drawn by it straight away. And uh, when I first opened it up, I thought, well, well, literally all my Christmases came at once because I got it for Christmas. <laughs> so, um, and I just could not stop playing the bloody thing. Yeah, um, I know I only had one game for it, and that was Transpot, and I played that endlessly. I loved playing it, just the colour. And the, the thing was is that it looked like I was in the arcade. Um, the graphics was just a big shot up. Um, I had this weird way of measuring how good an arcade port was by looking at the score, the way that the, the font that they used for the scores and I thought if that looked as close as to what they have in the arcade, I thought, well, that's good enough for me. So, um, yeah, so it was just a way that I measured things back then as a kid. Yeah, if their attention to detail is fine enough that they replicate the font, then yes. yeah, logic yes, would dictate right. that, it, that it transcribes through the rest of the game. Absolutely. That's right. A, pr- a problem we had over here in the UK was in that period, we would get game releases quite a lot later than the rest of the world and console releases. Was it the same for you guys down there? It was, it was even worse. Um, we were so far behind from anyone else. And I can understand it because, look, even Australia at the time was emerging as a market that people were investing in. Um, and back then, the tyranny of distance, as I always call it, um, sort of held some people back. But um, it was the late 80s that our economy opened up. They floated the dollar and more stuff was coming in from overseas. So tariffs were being loosened and all that. So we were starting to get to see more things from overseas quicker. But even back then, um, things took a very long time. So we're talking about, you know, if a game was released in, in the US, it would probably take about a year for it to get to us. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the case. So you've got your Sega Master System, your your Sega Master System. You're uh, you're building up a library of games. Are you gaining a reputation in your town as the the expert games player? Are you getting pretty good at it? <laughs> Did you rate yourself? Enemy. That's what I'm asking. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I rated myself very well. But but in the town I was living in, um, you didn't you didn't really have console the C64. It wasn't really like that at all. It was just everybody was playing a C64, and I was the only one with a console, um, other than an Atari, because you know you, you either had an you either had an Atari C64 or a console, and I was the only one with the with the uh, with the eight bit console. So everybody looked at me like I was some sort of freaking weirdo, and <laughs> was well, this is never going to take off, and it's too simple. Um, not like, you know, the, uh, the Commodore because, you know, you've got the keyboard and you can play complex games. And, yeah, I, I can get that. But, you know, people just want to play games, want to play, get on with it, 
not worry about loading things up. And, yeah, so, um, no, I, I stuck fat with my decision. <laughs> We're going with, with the uh, Sega Master System. Okay, yeah. so you are... You are now officially a Sega fanboy at this point. Yes. So yes. take us down the road then, because there must have been a journey that led to employment at Sega. Take us down that road. How, how does okay. that happen? Yeah, so so what happens is um, I was loving the console so much, I had about 10 games at that one point, and um, I became such a fanboy, I wanted to speak to somebody from Sega. And I looked on the back of one of the uh, cartridges and there was an address in San Francisco. And I thought, bingo, I'll write a letter. And what I wanted to know was what was coming out, what was going on. I just wanted to tell him I was a fanboy. So I set off the letter. And honestly, I wasn't really expecting anything. Um, Maybe... Maybe I had it some expectation because you've got to understand back then um, people would communicate through letters, not, not through emails. So there was some chance I might get some sort of conversation from somebody, some sort of in- indication from it. And about six months went by and uh, a young girl uh, by the name of Judy Jett, or, or Jette, I should pronounce it. I keep Judy saying that. That's a hell of a name. Judy, yeah, Judy. <laughs> just perfect, isn't it? <laughs> you just want to start singing the Jetsons theme sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And um, she was amazed um, that somebody from all the way from Australia wanted to um, talk about Seeger and, and they were a fanboy. And this went on for years. We'd send each other letters. We, we basically became pan pals. So I'd send her something, she'd send me something, and we had, um, just going back a bit, um, I, I had I had a lot of problems with my health. I was always in and out, out of hospital. So um, if I wasn't playing video games, unfortunately I had to put up with days of our lives <laughs> on TV. <laughs> so she... She'd be telling me what was happening on Days of Our Lives and I'd tell her what was happening over here with the same show, but we were like a year behind from them. So and she'd send through like a, a TV guide from the US and I was just amazed by the hundreds of channels that they had. I didn't know how they kept forget, track of things. You? you forget how big the world was before we were also into Oh, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. I thought it was like a far, far, far away place. <laughs> um here, uh, just saying, like, the, 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 I'm looking at this TV guy has got hundreds of channels, and yet I'm living in regional Victoria, and I had a cha- choice of two, two stations. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we kept on sending things uh, between each other. Then one day, without warning, this box came through, and uh, what's, all, what's all this all about? And uh, I opened it up, and there were sheets of paper sheets of paper in there, and I looked up, uh, I think it was, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, uh, Gavellius, I think it's Gavellius, had Gavellius there, and it was talking about the first uh, first stage and, and a walkthrough, I'm going, my God, this is a walkthrough, and then there were cheats, and what I had in this box were hundreds, no, maybe even even a thousand walkthroughs and cheats for all these games. Um, and at that time, 
there was there were games in there that had either not been re- released in Australia or had not even been announced. Oh wow! So, yeah, Judy, yeah, Judy must have been putting her job on the line, you know, engaging oh, in I, this kind of espionage. Well, I I don't think she was putting the job on the line. I think she was just thinking, well, Tim's, you know, on the other side of the planet. What could possibly go wrong? And then <laughs> she's right because I'm just a kid. I mean, what would I know? So. Yeah, so she's she's sent me all this information. I'm going, this is amazing. This is great. What do I do with it? <laughs> I don't know. I really did not know what to do with it. And um, and every, uh, I realised what I could do with it about um, six months later. And I got a cartridge and I saw a telephone number for the Sega hotline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did you you called that number presumably? Yes, obviously I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was um, so the prefix up there was an uh, it was an O two number. So the number was in Sydney. Now um, it would have been the cost of a trunk call. Um, trunk calls don't exist nowadays because uh, every call's free now, or it's a local call. But um, back then it would have cost me about forty cents a minute to talk to them. So. I rang them up and I tested them out. I thought, this is great. And, um, and then I started ringing them back and I'm asking, how do I get a job? How do I get a job <laughs> up there? Um, so eventually, I think they just gave in. <laughs> I said, oh, let's just get rid of this guy. Um, so I went up. Uh, Mum and Dad, uh, God bless them, they, they paid for my flight up there. Mm. And that cost a fair bit back in the day. There's no ten dollar flights as you can get nowadays. Um, so flew up there, sat down for an interview. Never, never done a job interview before in my life. Um, didn't know what to expect, so just got to ask questions. Like, well, what do you think? What do you think of Sega and all that sort of stuff? Thought, oh, yeah, yeah, love it, love it. And they asked me a few questions about myself, and um, I got asked the, uh, this inevitable question. I just want to know. What can you bring to Sega that others can't? What, what do you think you can? What, what makes you stand out more than anyone else? And I thought, thank you for asking. So I pulled out, I pulled out this sheet of paper, and I slid it across the table. We're going, oh, what's this? What's this? I said, oh, just have a read. And I'm reading, and I'm reading through, and I go, oh. Oh, this is a walkthrough. This is a this is a cheat. We don't have this game yet. How'd you get your hands on it? <laughs> and so I said, look, this is what I've been doing, and I explained about Judy and all that. And um, I said, oh God, well, have you got more? I said, well, it depends. Depends. <laughs> I mean, okay, I've got a whole box full of them. Whole box full of them. So um, went off back down to Beechworth, back home. And sure enough, about a week later, I got a call back and um, they offered me the job. So I got into my little car, drove up to Sydney. It was about a 10-hour drive and started working for Sega. I'd never lived in the city before. I I never had a job before. How um, old were you at this point? I was about 19. Okay. I would have been about 19 or better to 19. Yeah. Into the bright lights of the city. Well, bravo that, man. You stunned Sega with Sega's own information, which you'd extracted from them. 
<laughs> it's a brilliant story. Where would where would the hotline have normally got its information from? Were they affiliated with Sega Japan or Sega America? Where would they've normally got that? Well, the most from? most of the information that they worked in tandem with with Sega of America, but they also work with uh, Sega of Japan. So the way that we used to get our cheats and all that was through other magazines like CMBG, Electronic Gaming Monthly, uh, those sorts of magazines. Um, the other ones would be that people would actually send in the cheats as well. And say, oh, look what I found out, and we give it a bill. And great, we'll add that to the database. Um, and uh, look, and, and then from the companies themselves, they would just drip feed the information to us. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it was because of the licensing agreement, because at first, Sega um, in Australia was owned by Aussiesoft and then eventually got sold to Sega um, because they realised that Sega down here was doing so well, it was dominating the market. Um, I think they just must have bought it to, to invest in. I'm not really sure what the backstory is with that, but, um, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Well, you find yourself, Tim, as Sega's newest employee. So uh, let's start start with day one. Just describe your first day. You must have been the most excited gamer in the world, uh, and you walk into these offices. What were the offices like? Did did Sega look after you? Was it quite a plush setup there in the offices? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say like in today's standards it wasn't plush, but it wasn't dingy when I when I went there because um, apparently they just they just moved to a bigger location. Um, because they they had an adjoining warehouse, there was two levels of offices, um, and so it was it was fairly new. But I wouldn't say it was plush to say. Okay, so you had six rooms. Two of the rooms were used by the hotliners. The other two were owned, uh, looked after by managers, and then we just had some spare rooms off to the side. And I. I was getting the walkthrough and they're showing me, like we had all these sort of like styrofoam cutouts of of the games that we had, like the Golden Axe or we had um, the Simpsons or Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and I'm just going, oh, Jesus, this is great. Oh, I met Seeger and Sonic the Hedgehog and all that. And then um, I, met up, I met up with the uh, hotliners for the first time and they ended up being my long-term mates. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because I, I, I knew no one in Sydney. I absolutely knew no one. So uh, I even say to this day, thank, thank, thank God that they were there because they um, taught me a few things about living in the city and parts of Sydney as well. Um, you know what, what the vibe is, where to go, and all that. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. took the wide-eyed country boy under their wing and looked after. Pretty you. much. Yeah. <laughs> and was it was. where you worked? Was it a call center style environment? Were you there with the yeah. headset? And, and were you were you being hammered yep. with calls, or was it quite a oh, good pace? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it, it, it changed through the day. So early in the morning, early in the morning, barely any calls would come through. So this was a great opportunity to sit down and start playing games, and if you found anything else out, you would add that information to the database. Um, and as the day grew on, uh, the Lonely Housewives would call in. They always call them the Lonely Housewives because the kids are off at school. Um, so they would start calling in, 
and then the kids would come home. It would take about 30 minutes, like 4 o'clock almost on the dot, and they'd start calling up. Um, because you got to think, nobody had a mobile phone back then. So they had to get back home, then make the telephone call, and, <laughs> and start asking us questions. And then it just, it just got crazy, absolutely crazy. <laughs> so were there any um, particularly memorable calls that stick in your mind, Tim? One I always talk about was the guy who couldn't get his mega drive out of the box. That was <laughs> he, he, he was special. <laughs> he was special. So basically, you go, I'll pick up the phone. Hello, Sigma Hotline, Sigma Master Tim speaking. Yes. And uh, he just launched at me, can't get me mega drive out of the box. <laughs> okay. I'm like, what? Sorry. And I thought I misheard him. Like, um, like the, maybe he was having a problem with the Mega Drive, like the actual console itself, if that wasn't working. But can't get me Mega Drive out of the box. I said, like, okay, okay. So I'm trying to reason with you. I said, well, how about just just cut cut the cardboard? And it's, no, no, I don't want to ruin the cardboard. I want to keep it mins. <laughs> well, you're going to have to somehow cut it open. I said, well, how about if you slide your knife underneath? No, the, the glue's too thick. The glue's too thick, and, and the, the thing you've got to realise they use this industrial-type PVC glue. It's like really thick, but it was clear as well. So uh, when you lather it on, you, you can't budge anything. But this guy just didn't even want – he didn't even want to sort of like open that up to tear the box. He, he was so concerned that because of the glue, the glue would tear the cardboard to open up the thing. And so I'm trying to I'm trying to reason with him. I said, mate, you're just going to have to open the thing. You're going to have to tear it open and do it. Oh, this is bloody my shit. And just hangs up on me and told me to F off. And <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, there so, was nothing in your database that was going to help you with that call. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, nothing at all. So, um, yeah, but that, that's – that's probably one of the most uh, – that was the most memorable call I ever had. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating to hear earlier that uh, playing games was actually a key part of your job. So presumably you were sort of black box testing these games. You were sort of taking things to every extreme and every limit, trying to find flaws and cheats. Yes. Yes, so yes, much that's right. If the game developers just sent you the damn cheats, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it? It would be. It would be. But um, that was that was the other cool part about the job because we used to get the games before they were released or even finalised. So we would get uh, ROMs of the games with the prototypes and what we would have is this large motherboard that sticks out of the the console. So whether it be the Mega Drive, Master System, even for the Game Gear we had one. Um, And so what we would do is that we plug the chips in in a particular order uh, there were like little micro switches on the board that we had to, to, to flick over. And there you go, there's your game. So uh, we got to see some amazing games in prototype form that hadn't been completed. And my most memorable one uh, was Street Fighter 2. It just blew our minds. And it was so kind of them to actually provide us with the six-button control pad. So that was the first time we ever seen that as well. So I, I always say I don't think any work 
got done that day. <laughs> we just said it. Little Hanukkah. And all these games playing. I mean, obviously, you were a huge fan of games before you got the job. Did any of this take the sheen off of gaming as a hobby for you? Did you continue to enjoy it just as much? Yeah. No, I, 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 I loved it so much. Um, always said that, like, the job was was a, a permanent part time role, so you didn't you didn't really get paid the best rates um, because you weren't, you, yeah, you you weren't. I don't know. I, I can't say we weren't valued. Um, just, they just sort of saw it as like, oh, you're just answering calls, that that sort of role. So you didn't get paid amazingly well, but the benefits that came with that uh, outweighed the pay. So uh, I, what I would do, because I love my job so much, I would come in on days that I wasn't even rostered on. I just loved coming in. And it was my first job, and I just loved everything about it. I really did. I, I consider myself... I would consider myself very lucky to get that job. <laughs> Let's go into a few more of the calls because I'm sure there's so many. You were there for a good five years or so. Yeah, you? about so five years. Yeah, yeah. So were there any games that you got heaps more calls than any other game from people needing yeah. help? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everybody thinks it's going to be Sonic the Hedgehog. And yeah, yeah, we got lots of calls, obviously, for that. Um, mainly, mainly for cheats. Uh, yeah, mainly just for cheats for Sonic the Hedgehog, so selecting levels or infinite lives. But um, the one call that we got the most for was Alex Kidd in Miracle World. And the reason for that is when the Sega Master 2 got released, they inbuilt it into the, uh, as a BIOS chip into the, uh, the motherboard of the unit. So, yeah, everybody would be calling us up and it would always be the same call. Don't worry about all the other levels, all the other things that happens in Alex Kid. They ring up about one room and they say, I'm stuck in the room and I'm playing Alex Kid and we stop them right there and say, Right, you got a pen and paper? Great. You got yeah, you got it right, right, okay. But in this room, there's all these symbols on the ground and they had to run over the symbols in a particular uh, in a particular order. And that would end the game. But that was the call that we would always get. And um, the others, the other hotliners, well, we, we all have nightmares about this call because it was, it was about every third call that we would get would be about that same room. That same, I'm, in, I'm stuck in a room, right, got a pin. Were there any games, Tim, that you thought were just plain unfair on the player that you couldn't really help them with? One one is is Snail Maze, the inbuilt game on the original <laughs> Master System. <laughs> it's, I mean, you're looking at a whole screen of a maze, and I remember doing, getting a couple of calls. I'm thinking, how can I help you? I can't, I can't see what you're doing. Um, and there's no walkthrough for it. But, but it's um, a maze. It's on, the solution is on the screen, basically. You just the solution is on the screen. Yeah. But um, was there any game that was absolutely impossible because the quality control was pretty tight so there was there wasn't yeah, too much in the way is. of uh, you know flaws that broke the games oh uh, yeah i'm just trying to think 
Was there? No, I, I don't think so. But then again, I'm, I'm a bit of a hard taskmaster myself because I have this, I, I, even to this day, I, I always have this ethos. I might have had all the cheats and the walkthroughs for all the games I could have imagined, but I never actually cheated. I, I could not, I always, I was always determined to complete a game on my own through my own endeavours, you know. So it, for me, I don't think it, there was any real game there that was just too hard for people because, look, um, life isn't fair. <laughs> you just got to try. You just got to try. Practice more, try. practice more. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, I think, and I think usually what, what kids would do, what people would do is that if there wasn't a cheat, or if there wasn't any sort of walkthrough, they go out and, and buy themselves one of those action replay carts and, you know, work out a code and then, you know, they, they find the other levels of that and jump forward and backwards through them all. Um, so if we didn't have anything on a game, that's what we, they would end up doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, this was a, a premium rate service, as you found when you called to try and get a job from them, but that, that paid no, off for you. Not, not initially. No, okay. Uh, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Premium rate? What the the pay? To or? pay to phone. So, what, did it cost more oh. than just a trunk call? Was there additional on top of that charged to the caller? Okay, no, no. no. Okay. So when they had the O2 number, it was just like if you lived in Sydney, it was a local call, which was twenty five cents back in the day, um, and then they went to um, a double O double five number where you got charged per minute. And that was about fifty-five cents. And then once the hotline got, I think it was when the hotline got paid, uh, sold off to a telemarketing company. The number changed to a one nine zero two, and they started charging a dollar a minute. What they did was that they, they tried to get uh, kids to become members, or what we call the Sega Club. So I think I think they paid twenty-five dollars for a year, or. So the service did have to be profitable, uh, and that was your way. It wasn't a complimentary service from Sega. You, you had to, uh, you had to upsell those memberships. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a biz business needs to run. I didn't. Business needs to run. Needs to make money and all that. Um, I get that now, but I didn't. I didn't really get that as a kid. I really didn't. Um, yeah. So that, that's my. That's fair. <laughs> I've got a couple of viewers' questions who uh, I told I was going to be speaking to you. So the first one comes from from Mark, and Mark says the play the playground was always a hotbed of crazy theories about games, special cheats, or hidden characters that didn't actually exist. Did people ever ring you up about these? And if so, what was your favourite? Oh, okay. <laughs> so any any sort of urban myths about games? Did you ever get any calls about those kind of things? I think. Uh, I think some some people would think that um, Mario was going to come out on a Sega console. Um, oh, I heard, or oh, Johnny told me, um, so I heard that. Um, some some urban myths actually came to fruition, um, and and it was actually um, it would make sense. So people saying that uh, Mortal Kombat would come out on the Mega Drive and. Um, I thought the game was a little bit too difficult to for, for it to come out onto the Mega Drive, uh, but it happened. It happened. And difficult they in did terms it for of, the, of technical the aspects. technical yeah the technical aspects of it all, and also on 
the violence side of things, like the the blood and the gore, would they be allowed to do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, would they tone it down? But clearly they didn't. <laughs> um, and look, it, even the game came out on the master system for crying out loud. So that's a that's a fair achievement. Did you ever get any Nintendo fanboys calling you up just to troll you or anything like that? Um, I, I, I didn't. I don't, I'm sure they might have and we were just too dumb and stupid to pick it up. But, <laughs> but one of the other hotliners, Brian, or Synth Spaces, uh, what he used to do is ring up the Nintendo hotline, which was actually down here in Melbourne, and ask if, uh, oh, when was Sonic coming out on the NES? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, children. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Brian there, Sits in Spaces, because he has a YouTube channel on which he has a tour of the old Sega hotline offices yeah. that you're referring yeah. to. So I'll I- include a link in the show notes to uh, to both Tim's Twitter, so you can follow Tim, and Synth Spaces tour. So be sure to check that out. Um, I, another question then, this one's from Ravi. Uh, he says, did you ever have to deal with kids wrecking their consoles doing something completely insane? <laughs> No, to be honest, I never – look, on Christmas Day, what what would happen? Like, obviously, we get thousands of calls and um, the service department would be closed over the Christmas period. So we would get a whole influx of them. So we get a lot of calls about their console not working or that. Um, but you'd hear stories about, oh, there's, there's, this, there's this smoking smell, the smoke smell coming from my master system on my Mega Drive and – um, sometimes you'd find out that they've put actually uh, they might already have a NES and they bought the master system and so they've put the NES adapter power adapter into and you hear that sound <laughs> yeah so I've heard little uh, tales of that as well but uh, no it wasn't it wasn't too bad actually I think they that they were they were pretty switched on, and it's. I think if if anyone's going to make the mistake, it's actually the adults and not the kids. Kids pick up tech very quickly. Um, yeah, so no, 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 not not too much actually. Yeah, so it sounds like you strayed into uh, a form of hardware support as well. Um, yes. <laughs> what what other opportunities came up for you then? Because it wasn't all working on the telephones, was it? You did get to do some other fun things. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So. Um, one of the hotlines reminded me of this. I don't know how I forgot about it. Was reading fan mail. The fan mail that would come in, and I tell you what, that some of them drew pictures, and they were pretty violent. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like like Mario being dismembered. <laughs> so, you know, like eye going this way, arm going that way. Just, Violent bloody kids, I tell you. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so you get um, uh, pictures, you get letters saying, oh, I love Sonic and, you know, the, the, the picture of Sonic and a big heart and that. So that, that would be really cute. Um, the other main part to our job was actually writing video game reviews. And um, and that was for a magazine called Megazone. Okay, so you could leverage the fact that you had early access to certain games to get those first reviews yes. written. Nice. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so we got to uh, do reviews for them. Um, it wasn't that it, I can't remember the other Sega Masters having to do it, um, but I did a couple of walkthroughs 
And um, I always tell this story. So it was like six o'clock, ready to go home. Boss comes in and she asks, oh, Tim, can you do, uh, do a walkthrough for uh, not another world, flashback? Okay. I said, yeah, yeah, that's all right. No worries. Um, yeah, can you get that done by 9 o'clock tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. So what do you think I said? Um, yeah, of course I said yes. Didn't I? <laughs> Bloody idiot. So, so I uh, went home, had me dinner and sat down in front of this game and I hadn't completed it before. I got through the first three levels. And the thing is, is that when you do a walkthrough, you have to play, pause, write down whatever it is play, pause, write down, whatever it is. And thank God it had a save feature on it because you could, you know, spawn back from your last save point. But um, I got it done and I got one hour's sleep, uh, woke up, went to, went to the publishers, played the whole game again, and the thing is um, – Okay, when you do a, a screenshot nowadays, you know, on your phone it's like beep, or on your computer it's whatever, you know. But um, the computers back then, the room had to be dark. You had to get an actual camera to take the picture of the screen. And this would take, you know, in some cases about three minutes for every screenshot. And you can imagine how big flashback is. Um, and the time that took. So I started at nine and I, and I left at six the next day. Um, I think I died. <laughs> after that. I think I died. Um, I think I woke up in Randwick hospital. I'm not sure. <laughs> and what did I get paid for it? 50 bucks. <laughs> 50 bucks. <laughs> Just, Unlike everybody else that worked at Sega, at Sega, I'm not saying that the other staff didn't love working for Sega, but the hotliners took it to another level because we played the games, we were gamers from the outset. So um, if there was anyone that was going to promote the brand well, it was actually us. We're not going to say a bad thing about us. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it yeah. sounds like you had an amazing time, but it did come to an end. So why did your time on the hotline come to an end, Tim? Okay, so the other guys started leaving. Um, I think they could have seen the writing on the wall, but I, I, I was sticking in there. Mm. Um, what year but was this, by the way? What, what year did you uh, This was about 96, 96 95, 90, yeah, 95, 96, around then. So what happened, the hotline got sold off, as I said earlier, to a telemarketing company. And... What they did was that they basically got rid of everyone. They got rid of everyone um, that was had any relationship to do with the hotline, and they started afresh. They got new people in, but they weren't. They they liked video games, but they didn't love Sega. So there's your first problem. The second problem was they weren't allowed to play games, so they were just reading text off a monochrome screen of how to get past a certain level or do a certain thing. Um, now, when you've got a kid on the phone saying, look, I'm trying to jump over this block, well, you can't just say, oh, you've got to jump over the block. 
uh, a couple of times. You've got to you've got to sit with them and listen to them, and you got to hear instinctively. You can actually hear them pushing the button, okay? And and you've got to be able to play the game too. You've got to know what they're talking about. You can't read it off off a screen. You've got to actually play it. Yeah, this um, is not directory inquiries. You're not phoning up for a telephone number for a name. Yeah. In the job that I'm I'm in. Uh, in my industry, that we call it industry experience. You need to have industry experience to tell people what to do. So, and they ah, just so many bad, bad decisions. And then they start, and then they were charging a dollar a minute. So they had people that were inexperienced, weren't allowed to play games, reading off a monochrome screen, and basically charging a lot of money for for poor service. But I'm guessing from the way you've spoken, from the enthusiasm you've spoken with, you wouldn't have changed that time for the world. Oh, God, no. God, no. And even um, even now, I, like nowadays, look, I, I've, I've put myself on Twitter and I'm just amazed by the response I get from everyone they go, oh, you're that guy. Oh, I love Sega. You know, even though they might have a handle saying uh, Nintendo Forever, <laughs> <You know? laughs> they still love Sega. Honestly, um, I always keep on, I keep on saying, I thank Sega to this day for the opportunity. I thank Judy for the opportunity for working for Sega just for my first job because I didn't finish my high school because of my health. So for somebody to take me on, because they saw me as a person with a wealth of knowledge and a unique skill that pretty much not many other people had, um, I can't thank them enough. And, and, and I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for that one opportunity. Well, it's a wonderful story. Thank you very much for sharing oh, it no, with Oh, no, thank us, you for Tim. having me. I really appreciate and it. Where can we find you on Twitter? What's your handle there? My handle is, well, Tim. Um with a capital S or the rest is lowercase. I'll include links to your to your Twitter account and to the video that we mentioned in the yes. description to this video. And I understand you'll also be appearing at PAX as something PAX as Australia. Yes, yes, as a celebrity. That's really weird. Just a little wind back. Um, a, a couple of months ago, one of the hotliners uh, was ho- hosting a convention Um out in the Blue Mountains, which is outside of Sydney, and it's just a little thing. And uh, we had we had a little panel there of of um, us, uh, three of us, four uh, hotliners, talking about what we did. And then it was the first time we caught up with each other after 25 years, and one of the guys uh, took the picture and posted it up on Reddit. And um, I was driving back to the airport, Back, back into Sydney and my phone's going off. It's going bing, bing, bing. It's going, right. So anyway, finally got to sit down, read it. And uh, before I left, I, I, he says, oh, look, I've put it up on, on Reddit. And I said, oh, 31 updates. That's great. By the time I got back to the airport, it was 51,000. And it was going berserk. We ended up on the front page as number one. And I think because of that, people are asking, you know, telling us, oh, you are gods to us. Thank you so much. <laughs> and we're like absolutely blown away by it. So I think this is what has um, helped us to do a panel at PAX because they know about what happened on Reddit. Um, and I think it, 
it's going to draw a, a big audience and it's going to be very exciting and um, fun. That's the most important thing, fun. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I really hope they record it. I'll certainly uh, share that video or, or live stream it so we can watch that unfold. I really look forward to that and good luck with it. Oh, uh, oh thank you. Well. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> maybe, maybe the guy in the crowd, I still haven't got me Mega Drive out of the box. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <I> show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today tim no Take thank care, you sir. thank you so much and um yeah L- live on Sega forever <laughs> if you enjoy my content and would like to toss a coin into the hat to support the cave then check out patreon.com forward slash retro man cave and join the official cave dwellers you can see on the screen now thank you for your support